writing copy, doing customer research, marketing, sales. If that's not fun and code is fun, it's really difficult to force yourself to do those things that need to be done when you could just say, oh, I could just build this new feature. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the Code and Conquer podcast. For this episode, we have a very exciting guest for you guys. She's not a developer, but a designer doing a no-code run in the indie hacker space. Her name is Laura Elizabeth. In this episode, we're talking to Laura about the unique challenges of starting an online business without coding knowledge, the WordPress plugin space, and how to work effectively for and with freelancers. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let's jump right in. And we're live for the seventh episode of Code and Conquer, the Indie Hacker podcast. And today I have a very special guest with me, the first no-code uh, entrepreneur that we have on this podcast, who is Laura Elizabeth. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And do you want to introduce yourself? Who are you? What are you doing? What are your projects that you're doing? How did I pick you for an Indie Hacker podcast? Yeah, so... My name's Laura and I'm the founder of a WordPress plugin called Client Portal. And Client Portal is exactly what it sounds like. It's a portal for your clients. So there's really no better way to explain it than that. Um, it's a place for freelancers, agencies, accountants, anyone who deals with clients. Um, they would put my plugin on their WordPress website and it would give their clients an area where they can access things like their deliverables files um, and just see the status of the project in a really clear um, dashboard. Um, so that's that's basically what I do full time. Um, I have a few other projects on as well that I've had, you know, in the past. I have a design course for developers called Design. The course is called Design Fundamentals um, and that's under Design Academy. And then I also have Project Pack, which is sets of documents and templates that I used to use back when I was freelancing with my own clients that I now um, have as a product to help other freelancers with their projects. So yeah, a few <laughs> things going on. So you're pretty much the standard way of going into indie hacking or starting a product, which is I have a need and I need a solution for that, correct? Exactly right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, being being a freelancer myself, um, I thought that some things were, something was really funny on your website. I looked through it a bit and you mentioned that... Um, working for somebody else failed and so you had to <laughs> you had to move to freelancing uh, how did that come about or how did you get into that yeah so i was when i graduated university i studied design and i went to work in an agency and i was actually freelancing on the side because when i was working for the agency i found that university hadn't really prepared me for working on real projects like real client projects for real businesses The stuff I was doing at university was just different. Um, mm. So I was doing that on the side. and But I just, I feel like I've never wanted to work for someone else, but I didn't really know that you could work for yourself. I always just assumed I would get go to university, get a job, and that would be it. But I never loved the idea. Um, and I struggled to be motivated, you know, in a job where I felt like I was just making someone else lots and lots of money. Um, I sort of felt like I, if I was working really hard or doing really well, I wanted to see more for that. And if I was slacking and not doing so well, I think it would be fair that I would receive less. And so I think being a business owner appealed to me because it was more based on performance than 
you know, just having the same paycheck no matter how hard or not hard I worked. So I tended to go down the not so hard route, which I think a lot of fellow <laughs> business owners can uh, understand. Yeah, as someone that has done pretty much the, the same thing at some point, like like for me, it was that that the goals kind of stopped being there, which which meant that I had to find new ones. Uh, first, you had like the, you have you made your bachelor's thesis and degree. Then you had a master's degree in my case. Um, then you got a senior developer role at some company at some point. And then you're like, okay, so the next one is team lead or project manager or whatever the next next position is called. But what actually changes if that's just like five percent salary increase while having a lot more responsibility, right? Yeah. Exactly. And it, it just it, it's quite slow and it's quite, you know, I can see the benefit. You know, sometimes I think, oh, gosh, wouldn't it be nice to have a stable job where I didn't have to worry, <laughs> you know, about what's going to happen a month from now, a year from now where someone else is getting the clients and dealing with all that. I just get my paycheck. But yeah, it just I think overall it just wasn't it just wasn't for me. On your website, it says that you created Client Portal, Design Academy, and Project Pack. The order that they're mentioned in is not the one that they were created in, correct? That's correct, yeah. So Client Portal is my main one. That one does um, the best out of all of them, and I really enjoy working on it. Um, but Design Academy came first, and Design Academy came about when I was freelancing. I was mainly working with developers, and these were developers usually the ones that could afford to hire a designer were developers working in a larger company. So they had a budget. Um, but all of these developers that I'd work with um, had their own side projects and they wanted to do their own tools. And the part that they really struggled with was being able to design well enough to be able to make a nice website that's compelling or make the UX of their tool work really well. Um, they didn't want to be a designer, but they just wanted to have enough design knowledge to get over that hump. So when their side project hopefully takes off, they can then invest in a designer. So I just sort of saw this gap there that I could, I felt like I could really help with because, you know, as a designer myself, I, I wouldn't consider myself an award-winning designer. You know, I, I was never the best designer in the whole world, but I think I was good enough. And I cared actually a lot more about how the design performed. Um, I obviously really care about how it looks. Like I love things that look great. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't consider, I don't, I, I wouldn't, I don't push the boundaries with design. I do things that work and that I think look really nice. Um, and so I really felt like I understood where these developers were coming from. And I felt like there was just something there that I could really help with. So I knew I wanted to go from freelancing into some kind of products because even though I wanted to be my own business owner, I found that by freelancing, I didn't, I've always been kind of chasing freedom, I suppose. And when I was freelancing, I didn't feel free despite the name, um, I really felt like I was still, you know, chained to my desk. You know, I did the whole digital nomad thing and I backpacked while I was being a freelance designer, but it was actually kind of miserable because all my clients expected me to be on call. Like they expected replies quickly. And I w ended up half the time in like McDonald's around in different countries all over the world because they were the only place with Wi-Fi and cheap coffee just working and I was like well this isn't 
what I thought it would be. So I knew I wanted to get into products and getting to something that was not passive because there's, you know, it's not really that, but just something that could be, give me a bit more flexibility. And so the first step there from my point of view, um, because I didn't have a product, I thought, well, I'll do a course and I'll teach. So I started building an audience of developers using my small network at the time, doing things like speaking, going on podcasts and like just sharing knowledge and trying to get people to sign up to my email list, um, build an audience that way and eventually create a course for developers. Um, but while that was happening, I was building this audience. Client Portal kind of came out of left field um, from a conference that I attended. Um, it, that's a whole other story, which I can get into if you're interested. But so so the kind of the timeline is a little bit wonky. I was all set on having this design course for developers, which I was mostly doing. Client Portal came in as a bit of a surprise. Um, and then with the money I earned from Client Portal, that enabled me to stop freelancing so I could then finish my design course for developers and then go on to create other products like Project Pack and things like that. A conference actually created the need for Client Portal then in the end. Kind of. So basically I was I would go to any conference that would have me and I would talk about things I knew. So I would talk about design for developers or I would talk about freelancing or something like that. So I went to speak at a conference in Stockholm um, about freelancing and my talk was about onboarding. And I made I had made this portal for myself to use with my clients because I tried project management tools, but I found they were really expensive for me and my clients weren't using them and I didn't have a team. And so it felt like I was just having this for the sake of having it. I didn't see the value in the, pro the project management tools at that point, but I felt like having nothing for my clients was just not enough. So I just created, and all it was, was a page on my website behind like a login wall um, that had a nicely designed place to store you know, all their deliverables um, because I would always be asked, I mean, you can see it on the client portal website. I quote it everywhere. The, can you just send me my logo again? <laughs> that was the request I got like years later, constantly from clients. And I just thought, yeah, I'm expecting my clients to be organized here, but they're not. So let me be organized for them. And during this talk, I mentioned, you know, one really good thing you can do during your onboarding is to give your clients a secure place on your website that just has just their deliverables and just they can see where the project's at and they can log in and see what's going on without having to email you. And that talk was really, really popular. And actually at the end of the conference, they went, the organizer went around the room and asked everyone what was the most valuable thing that you got from this conference. And the vast, vast majority of people said, Laura's client portal idea, that's genius. I'm going to do it. Uh, or, and, you know, they would come up to me afterwards and say, can or could you just sell me like your portal? Can I buy it? <laughs> um, and it, there was just so much excitement around it because I'd obviously hit on this pain point that I had. But for some reason, I didn't realize that anyone else had this pain point. And looking back, it's really obvious that maybe I had a product there, but I thought it was too basic to be a product. Mm -hmm. Like it's just a page behind a login wall. Um, but the problem was such a real problem. Um, and there's really nothing else that I can find still even today um, I work with companies to help me grow client portal and, you know, there's really no competitors yet <laughs> for client portal because it's such a niche product. 
Um, so yeah, that's how Client Portal came about. It was like the accidental product that was <laughs> just as mostly just the best product successful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just said like people really had to, had this need, but what's the like what's the big difference be between like a full blown project management tool and then Client Portal? Why is it easier to use that instead? So I wouldn't actually say instead anymore. I used to say instead. Um, but I think project management tools are actually really good for a lot of, I'm, I'm not convinced they're that good for if you're a solo, mm -hmm. but I could be wrong. Um, but if you start to build a team or even a team of contractors or just regular people that work with you when you're freelancing for your clients and you sort of scale into an agency, I think project management tools are really quite vital actually um just to keep everyone on the same page in your team uh, and know where everything's going on everything's just there but i don't actually think that for the most part your clients should be seeing your project management tool and like everything this isn't for every single use case but just a lot of the um companies I come across and the people that I work with at Client Portal, you know, their clients don't need to be in their project management tool. And I know for me, now I work with a lot of freelancers. I hate it when they add me to a project management tool because I'm like, oh, I got to create an account. And then I got to figure out all their terminology because they all use different terminology like pings or, you know, stuff. And mm -hmm. I got to figure out how they, and I'm like, how do I send a message? I just want to send a message. Um, and so I just email them and that's what my clients would do to me. And, you know, it just wasn't, unless you're working really long term with a client and it's like a big project that's, you're going to need to work really tightly together. I don't really think project management tools are that important, but I do think they're really important if you have a team of people for you to use internally. So client portal is like an add on and it just gives your client exactly what they need to see and nothing else so it's super simple they don't need to learn how to use it as long as they can log into something and it's really that thing that they're not going to log into daily but when they need something whether it's a week down the line a month or even years down the line it can still be there for them so they can just access it um, and and that's kind of where client portal is is really nice and useful for your clients but yeah i, I see it as working alongside a project management tool rather than instead of. So I already looked at the website. Um, if our listeners are not doing this, I'm also a freelancer. I'm a developer, for not a, not a designer. Um, but how would I use Client Portal from the, the user side, from the one that's actually creating a portal and then sending it out to their customers? How could I, let's say for my case, for a developer, how would I use this? to actually make that process better for me and my customers? Yeah, so it, it depends on a couple of things. So if you have quite a productized service where a lot of the projects are very similar or the same for the most part, you know, not everything is going to be exactly the same, then I think the best way to use it would be if you use WooCommerce, you can set it up so uh, a client could buy your service and when they 
pay their deposit or pay the money for the productized service, um, a portal automatically gets created for them based on a template that you've already set up. And you can say, you know, I want these deliverables already in there. The rest is are things that as you go through the project, they're not active yet, but you can just add them later. And that's really the, the easiest way, like if you do those kinds of projects, because then that's really hands off for you. You have to create one template, a few repeatable documents, and then you just add the little bits as and when the project's done and it's quite hands off. And it can also be, you know, it's nice to have something on your website that people can just come in and buy without needing to do like a proposal thing. But if you do the more custom projects, then um, again, I would probably recommend using a template but you can either set it up manually. So if they're super custom and really high value clients and you have like a, an assistant or someone on your team who could set up a really bespoke portal, you can just go in, create that for them, give them the login. Um, if you're in that kind of the middle ground, um, which I think most people are, you would just um, create a template like you did before. Um, and you can either set up the portal manually. So you just, when you get a new client, you just add them um, or your client can sign up for their own portal. They just wouldn't purchase it, right? So, you know, you would say in the first email, the onboarding email, you would say, just click here to sign up and get your portal or something. And they just put in a few details and get their portal. So it's really up to you. It depends how you can put as much effort and detail into it as you want or really as little as you want. Um, it depends how much you want to do for your client versus do you want your client it to be more self-serve and they create their own portal um but it's pretty flexible i actually recommend most people try to do a bit more hands-off for them so it's not they're not spending lots and lots of time um creating really custom portals but some people work with super high value clients and they love being able to create the most custom portal for them and it's like an extra deliverable that they get so yeah that's pretty much how it works and what kind of files can I include in this? Because there's like the landing page mentions so much stuff. So probably I can message my customers and my customers can message me in there, which was, was something that you wanted <laughs> instead of writing an email, right? What's the features that are like the, the, the biggest ones that people are using? So actually there is no messaging in Client Portal. And the reason okay. <laughs> that there's no messaging in Client Portal is because clients don't want to message in a project management tool or they don't want to log into a client portal to be able to send you a message. Um, so that's actually a deliberate choice um, because they are just going to use email. And actually, I think email is great, especially if you use something like Help Scout, which is what I use. Um, there are other ones like Front. You know, if you have like a proper email platform where, you know, you can sort them, it's more ticket based. Um, so things don't get lost. And as you have, you know, other people on your team, contractors, project managers and such, you can comment and you can do all that kind of thing. I think email is really the best way. I would recommend everyone keep things to email because it's what clients like. It's what they know. They don't really want a messaging client portal. Um, but with that said, you can use if you use like any of those chat widgets or anything, you can use them. You can put it into and have it pop up if someone's logged into a portal um, or something like that. So there is the option there. Um, and also the other reason is because it's on WordPress. Um, I've always been a bit apprehensive about like messaging in WordPress, you know, potential like confidential information and stuff. It's it is it's secure, but it's still WordPress. Um, so there's that as well. But you basically for client portal, you have each module 
you can have it can take a number of different forms so it could just be a url so a module could be an external url to something like google docs um, now i use google docs with my clients all the time because again clients know it they use it and you can collaborate on google docs um, but it can be a link to anything any website pinterest i don't know whatever um, or you can have a content page which is basically just a portal branded page where you can write whatever content you want in there you can embed iframes you know you can embed a google calendar or whatever you use um, or you can upload files so you can upload like pdfs or anything like that or logos <laughs> yeah although I, I actually recommend people try not to upload too many files because again that's just going to be stored on your wordpress website so I'm I'm like more on the use like cloud and just link to it. Um, and Client Portal is like, it's like the branded interface for all these different tools that you use. Um, because all these tools are great, like, you know, especially just the basic stuff like Google Suite, you know, everyone uses it. Um, I, or, you know, even Dropbox or something like that. I think these tools are really great. Um, and I, I struggle with tools that try to do too much. So Client Portal is really more of a way that you can still keep using the tools that you're used to, that your clients are used to. But instead of them having to figure out, oh, where's that Google Docs link or where's that Google spreadsheet or where's what you know this link or this download or this PDF, no matter what tool you use, when they log into the portal, it will all be branded to your company or your client's company or however you want to brand it. So it will just look like one sleek kind of portal behind the scenes everything is like different tools does that make sense yeah sure but yeah. it's still in one like central place so whatever the client is using or, or, or searching for will all be somewhere in the portal right yeah exactly yeah and they just need to go to your website they click login at the top right hand corner and then they just log into their portal anytime so instead of them having to remember you know a dozen links or more and keep a dozen find a, you know 20 attachments in your emails and all that kind of stuff. They just need to know one link. And even if they don't know one link, they just need to know your website. <laughs> so they can go to your website, click login, and everything's just going to be there organized for them. Yeah, I think that's brilliant because I don't think that people will remember like 20 different services for 20 different file types. I don't think that works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they all these different services, like they they do have their place as well. And you try to use one to do everything and there's always like compromises and stuff so in my view this way you don't have to compromise you just use the best tool for the job and then just keep it all together in client portal um i actually want to talk about wordpress but i think we need to go one step back and um mention again that you are the first indie hacker on here that is a no code entrepreneur no code person founder maybe <laughs> a founder yeah exactly <laughs> and um so you don't code you're not a you're not a technical person you're a designer obviously and um so for the people that don't know this most of our listeners usually know but what would you define no code as hmm. actually so i would no code i suppose i would define it as not <laughs> i don't know how else to word it other than not being able to code <laughs> Yeah, yeah, which is <laughs> like fine. a really yeah. bad definition. Um, but yeah, I just, I can't code. I like know, I know a tiny bit of CSS. That's like, and I by a tiny bit, I mean a tiny bit. I can change <laughs> a color or something. Um, but yeah, I can't code. I can't fix things. I can't, you know, I'm sort of learning how to debug certain issues, 
just by doing it repeatedly but yeah I just cannot code uh, and I, I need someone to who can to be able to work with me um on client portal but yeah like you said there's not many there's not I don't feel like there's many of us around so there's a bubble on Twitter that you can see I th I think that the indie hacker bubble to be honest is not that big I think if you have if you follow like a thousand accounts you already have the core of all indie hackers within this I think or maybe two thousand and then there is like a tiny small subset of people in there that are no coders maybe like 100 or 200 active accounts on twitter which is like my feeling for it i'm not sure yeah i mean that's tiny yeah it's yeah. Uh, i'm yeah i'm surprised even the indie hacker i feel like the indie hacker world is huge now maybe i'm like i know i feel like the active accounts that people that are actually a lot on twitter and just not checking in like once a year doesn't feel that big maybe it's just that it's a familiar community and people talk to each other a lot yeah um and you feel like it's a smaller room than it actually is but yeah it, i think it's still a very small community compared to like the huge user number of twitter yeah true and then yeah. the no code version would be like you say even more minuscule but there's there's yeah. definitely some and so what is the base of client portal if it wasn't developed what like how did you go about creating client portal yeah so i what i did i because i was already building my audience by going and speaking at conferences and going on podcasts um i had a decent sized list i want to say like five thousand or something i'm not sure but it was it was okay the size um and so i ended up doing pre-orders and my list was predominantly developers but a lot of them were freelance developers. So Client Portal was actually luckily a good fit for them as well. Um, so what I did was I said, I have this idea um, and I really want to do it. So I'm going to do pre-orders and you'll get lifetime access forever. Um, but I basically need you to help me fund hiring a developer for this. And I also had the contacts at the conference to be able to um, email those people because the, uh, so many of them were interested um and do the same offer so i did pre-sales and i had this number in mind i think it was like i thought oh if i make you know two thousand dollars then great i'm gonna go for it um and i think it made over ten thousand dollars which i was really happy about that's um, a number <laughs> <laughs> yeah for the first ever like bear in mind at this point i hadn't even launched design i'd never earned a single bit of income from a product i hadn't sold anything not even a five dollar yeah, thing yeah so like yeah. the first one was like 10 it was crazy um so i was like oh okay because i i'd got some quotes from developers beforehand to try to figure out how much i needed that's where the 2000 um amount came from so i thought wow okay so i'm definitely going to do this then and the good thing about client portal and this is actually a mistake that I see a lot of people make, especially no-code people who do need to raise money. Client Portal is a very simple concept, um, but I've I've met other people who are doing something and they're trying to make maybe like a full-blown project management tool, right? With all the features there from the get-go, that's going to take a lot more investment. So the fact that Client Portal was really at this point just a simple one-page thing, um, with it under, behind a login wall you know the first version could only you could only link to urls you couldn't upload files or do anything um that made it so the getting a quote for how much it would cost in development was really easy 
Um, so yeah, that's basically how I funded that. And then I also, the difficult part though, was when you have a product and you can't code, um, you need to be able to figure out how to fix any bugs or make updates or things like that. So that was like the, the next challenge that I had after that. But in terms of the original, how did I do, how did I create client portal if I couldn't fo- code? It was pre-sales with an existing audience um, to fund it so you didn't pick one of the big i'm not sure how, how long this was uh, how long this was ago um, but you didn't pick one of the now pretty known no code pull stuff together and get components and stuff and build an app from that you actually went the other way uh, you didn't use one of those and instead hired the developer for that and um, just did your designer part yourself as a founder yeah Exactly. This was in 2016. Um, so I feel like no code wasn't around then. I, To be honest, and I don't even know the no code tools that you might even be referring to because I, I don't even know that well. This is just the only way I've known is to hire a developer. And um, I think it would make me, I'd be curious to see like if I could, you know, if I started Client Portal today, could I create it in a no-code tool? And what would that look like? And what are the restrictions? But that's just something I, I actually have no idea about. So I'm quite interested in that. I think it would be kind of scary because, well, not scary, but there would be downsides because being a being a founder who can't code, the downsides are really obvious. You know, you need money, you need to hire a developer. But actually, I found there's so many upsides and I find myself quite glad that I can't code (laughs) Um, because like I know a lot of developers. My husband's a developer. My lot of my network are just developers. So I know a lot of them and I don't want to generalize. But what I know about the ones that I know love coding, like it's so fun to them. My husband will spend like he'll stay up all night if he gets into coding and he'll have these like this cool like trance kind of music on everything will be like neon light like he just loves it like that's his (laughs) idea of fun um but the the downside to that though is when coding is something that's fun and things like you know design writing copy doing customer research marketing sales if that's not fun and code is fun it's really difficult to um just to force yourself to do those things that need to be done when you could just say oh I could just build this new feature um and I just I've I'm so glad I don't have to wrestle with that because I see my husband and I see other people wrestling with that all the time like wanting to build this cool new feature and not being able to um or doing it at the expense of other things that they know deep down they should be doing that's really hard and uncomfortable so um yeah so with the whole no code thing I think I'm glad that I can't go down that rabbit hole because I'm forced to do those other things. I think that's a very interesting perspective because yes, for the developers in the indie hacker community, that's an issue where you fall into this trap where you want to develop more and more features and you don't do the UX research and you don't do the marketing. Marketing week is like uh, a swear word on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, I think you actually have like the completely turnaround point of view from that because for you you can't develop you have to do all of the other stuff that developers don't want to do that's actually a pretty pretty unique viewpoint i think or maybe more people in the no code uh, community have that but not in the developer yeah. in the developer bubble i think even a people in the 
no-co community, I think I didn't even realize it into like a few years into it that this was actually a good thing for me that I could do this. Um, and it's really just from, you know, meeting people and talking to them and just understanding that, you know, really, um, you know, I hate to say it, but I see a lot of products that could be really successful, but because they're not, you know, they don't have very compelling copy and they're not, you know, speaking to a particular pain that people have and really getting to that root thing. Um, they're struggling to like get it off the ground, um, but instead spending a lot of time like on the features. So I'm quite glad that I, you know, I can spend that time working on the copy. You know, I do like things like customer research, which I don't enjoy because it means I have to get on a call with people. And I don't like it, but that helps me write really compelling copy um, and stuff like that. So, you know, it's sort of in hindsight that I realize that it's a benefit. Um, sometimes it's frustrating because there are certain features that I really want in client portal that I can't really afford to get developed. And that sucks because I'm like, gosh, if I had this, it would be like the best tool ever. But that might be true, but it wouldn't necessarily translate to more sales as such. It wouldn't translate to like more customers or maybe happier customers, but maybe not. I don't really know. Um, because I think the core of what people like about Client Portal is that, you know, that problem, that very specific problem that it solves and all the features and stuff that I, you know, we do continue to add to it are just kind of like nice to have extras, which is the way I kind of see it. How do you keep track of the features that you should develop next? Do you do you do user research on a, on a, what's the, what's the word? on a regular basis or what what are you doing to get to what the users want next or what they are missing? So I have quite a lot of email automation because that's one thing that I really enjoy is, um, uh, you know, email marketing, email automation. So I have quite a lot of, I collect a lot of information via things like little random one question emails dotted around my sequences and links to surveys and stuff like that. Um, I. I wouldn't say I do customer research regularly. I don't do it as regularly as I should. Um, but occasionally what I will do is, and it's a pretty basic way of doing it, but I will, when someone buys, I will reach out to them personally and invite them to book a link uh, on my calendar for just a quick 30-minute chat. Um, and I downloaded this guide. Um, I can't remember who it was by. It begins with K. If I can find it, I'll send you a link afterwards so you can put it in the show notes. But um, and she's got really good. Uh, she has really good templates for conducting good customer research and getting really good questions out of people that you can use. Um, so I use that and I find it so valuable, like the stuff that I get from there, even though I don't like doing these calls because I'm quite, you know, introverted, like a lot of indie hackers are. Um I find it so valuable when I do it. I don't do it regularly enough. I wish I did it more. Um, but yeah, I do try to do it like maybe a few times a year or something like that and just go all in and try to get as many customer research stuff as I can. Um, but again, that's not necessarily for features. I don't do that for features. And the reason is because I, as the founder of Client Portal, I'm very clear on what the product should be and what the product should not be. And I do get a lot of feature requests for things that I just, don't think I'm going to do, you know, stuff like, as you said earlier, like messaging, you know, I'd never say never, but I have my reasons for not creating that as a feature, even though it is asked for a lot of the time, because I don't feel like it 
it's the same as the core reason that I've got client portal. So I have like a, we have like a really good roadmap of features that are a mix of what people are requesting and what I also think where I think the product should go. Um, and it's, you know, we've got pretty much a whole roadmap for like the whole of next year in terms of features and stuff. Um, we do it quite slowly. Um, we don't like rush into things and we try to make sure it's right. Um, but, and then do bug fixes and anything else in between. Um, but yeah, it's, it's mostly based on my own intuition, I suppose, and a little bit of what I'm hearing from customers. Yeah, I think that's a good way to go. And also saying no a lot of times. Um, the standard story that a lot of people are telling at that point is Basecamp, which have, I think, relaunched their site, the project management tool, three times now. Um, and they said that every time they're relaunching, they're adding less features than in the version before. And I think that's a very healthy thing to do. Um, we just talked about simplicity on Twitter today. And I think it's just having the three features that like 90, like that's like 90% of what your users want to do and having those work really, really well is better than having 15 features and 12 of them are not getting used. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's the exact way I think about it as well. Like it, it needs to stay simple and you'll always hear from people who have feature requests, but you're, and it's going to skew your opinion because you're going to think people are just not happy with the product, but you're, you're never really going to hear from people who are just like generally happy with how it is and don't really want it to change um, until you do do it, make a change. And then they're like, I mm. liked it the way before. <laughs> don't do this, please. Um, but it's difficult because, yeah, you are going to be thinking that everyone is thinking that they need all these new features. But actually, most people, as long as they haven't refunded, they're probably happy. They bought it in the state that it's in. There's no reason it can't stay that way with um, just incremental improvements to the core like you say three things that the product should do and um, that's definitely the way i i go about it as well so that's good can you see like on a scale how happy people are with this product like can you like um, i haven't done anything with wordpress for like 15 years and i think plugins were not a big thing right there uh last time i used it um do you see like ratings can you actually see how many like how like, do you have a rating of some one uh, zero to five stars or anything that you can see where like where you can see at least some indication that people are happy about it no unfortunately not because client portal isn't on the wordpress what's it called the marketplace the repository plugin or, shop yeah it's not on it doesn't have a free version so it's not on that so there's no like and we don't have like a built-in way to just rate it um, so it it's more it is unfortunately a bit more on intuition as well. We do get a lot of testimonials. We have a huge list of testimonials of people who just love it. And if I'm feeling down, I'll um, read those. Um, but it's it's that plus refund rates um, that kind of gives me a sense of where people are. And I always ask why people need a refund, what was what we could have done better, and all that kind of thing. And you know things like how many people renew. Um, this is all kind of stuff that gives me a general idea. The downside to WordPress plugins and client portal, I know some WordPress plugins can and do do this, but we don't at the minute, is you can't really get a free trial. So you have to try it and then there's a 30-day refund policy. So that's going to skew the refund rates a bit to make them a bit higher because people who would have canceled their trial, you know, are going to refund instead. So yeah, it's, it's one of those things. I think... Um, at the minute, 
the struggle that we have is we are um because obviously you know gutenberg and all these you know, everything is becoming more page builder like um because we work on client portal quite slowly one of the biggest things we've been doing is we're basically redesigning the whole back end to bring it more in line with like modern page builder experiences um but that's not ready yet um it's almost ready but i feel like i've been saying that for a while um and so i think there might be a little bit of this might just be me because it you know it's my product but i feel like you know people are not the the back end that you see is like the old WordPress, right? And we're still working on bringing it to the new one. But I don't know if that's based on like actual customer things or if that's just something that I feel and that I want for my product because it's my baby. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, that's just kind of, yeah, again, intuition, which isn't super reliable sometimes. I'm, I'm interested now, like what are standard refund rates that you guys see when you don't have a trial? In, in place like how high does something like this go so it can go as high as i would say like 15 percent, mm -hmm. which is pretty high yeah, i guess 10 yeah yeah um 10 i would say yeah is i good personally but i don't see a lot of i don't see a lot of the stats for other businesses so i don't know but from one i've spoken to every other wordpress plugin founder i know has a similar thing where refund rates are higher for WordPress plugins in general um, because a lot of them don't have trials and there's just something about WordPress plugins in general I'm not sure I get a lot of people who um, this is something I need to change on the website who don't realize it's for WordPress <laughs> and so they're like oh I don't have WordPress I can't use it um, so that kind of skews it a bit I think I need to put the WordPress logo all over my website um, but yeah so I think they are generally higher which can be a shame because I know that most plugin founders I know are their big thing is trying to decrease the amount of refunds that they get. You also are already talking about this, like there's now more than one person behind this. Of course there is because someone has to code, obviously. But how are you managing stuff like bug fixes? You were doing the design, obviously, and uh, the code, um, the, the copywriting and the marketing, I guess. Um, how do you organize all of this? Like, how does your team look like? Or does it change all the time? Or is it like now the same three freelancers all the time? Yeah, that's the hardest part for me at the minute is um, scaling. So, you know, it's always just been me and a developer who is actually was always been a freelance on retain. It's been the same developer since 2016. And she's amazing. Um, but she's still a freelancer, you know, on a retainer with me. Um, so there's that. And then I have, um, I actually use an agency to help with support. Um, they're called Level Up and they are, they help with WordPress plugin support, um, specifically. Um, so they do like the tier one kind of support and actually they do a lot of, I would class it as like tier two. Like I don't have to do much in terms of support at the minute. But I do still, I can't help but still read all the emails just because that helps me get an idea of where people are at. And sometimes I'll jump in if I see something I need, but they help with that. And that's been really good. I've been using them for about a year now and I'm really happy with them. And then my big thing now that I'm struggling to do is content. Um, so I really want to, um, I get quite a lot of SEO traffic Um and well, I say quite a lot, I get a decent amount of SEO traffic, but I want to increase that because most of the traffic I get is just for people searching for like best WordPress client portal. And so client portal comes up because it's 
like almost the only one. Um, so I want to make it, I want to expand that, but I, um, I'm struggling to do that on my own because, you know, time just goes by so quickly and I'm not being as consistent as I would like with writing. So I'm now experimenting with hiring a freelancer to help me with some regular, um, writing for the blog, which will hopefully help with that. Um, but yeah, that's just the most difficult part because these things like it starts to get kind of expensive quite quickly. Um, and trying to figure out where I should spend my time and where I shouldn't. Um, it's quite kind of scrappy. I, um, we did toy with having an assistant for a while, but it didn't, unfortunately didn't work out. So, um, the team is just a little bit, it feels slightly scattered. Um, but me and the developer and the, I guess now the support person are the core people who have been there, um, sort of long-term. And then I'm experimenting with all these other things to try to bring in, um, more income, but I don't actually have any employees at this point, any full-time employees. So, um, I don't know if maybe that will change in the future, but that part scary to me is making the first proper hire. <laughs> yeah, I can I can feel that. Um, we had uh, in episode two, Connor Pope was on this podcast, and uh, he's he has had like pretty much the same setup. He doesn't develop plugins for WordPress, but his own uh, apps and stuff. But he has the same the same setup with freelancers doing the design mostly, and. Um, support i think as well and he also doesn't have one full-time employee um i think you can scale this pretty high until it becomes a problem i think that that's like the way to go i feel i'm not 100 happy with that i'm not i'm not sure how you feel about it because uh, being a freelancer myself i could imagine that there is a lot of movement in the team then but apparently you haven't you have made like another experience where you have the same developer since 2016 um but did that happen at any point that the, that person had another project or that you didn't have the resources that you needed from them it hasn't happened yet so uh, a lot of the people i work with have been very um have been pretty good and i haven't you know had issues i you know i've done things like i've hired i've used fiverr and stuff to do like one-off projects and tasks and stuff but nothing super regular um i like to think i'm kind of nice to work with i try and pay my invoices really quickly and uh you know i don't i because i've been a freelancer before i try not to be a client from hell you know and i like to think that maybe that's why people stick around i don't know um but yeah i haven't found it an issue yet and I've actually spoken to other plugin founders who say um, the difficulty when they've started hiring people is that they found like the output from an employee is a lot less than an output from a freelancer um, because you know employees maybe aren't as incentivized to I think they used the example of content and they said you know the amount of content a freelancer would give you um, and then they tried to bring it in-house um, and it just dropped by, you know, something crazy like 50% or something. And so they just decided not to have anyone in-house doing content and they just stuck with freelancers because they were actually more reliable than employees. So there's there's always that kind of thing as well. And onboarding a new employee can take a while, whereas a freelancer has their own process and they can kind of lead you through it and just help you with what needs to be done. Um, you know, with things like that, I don't know a lot about like development, you know, I feel like if I was hiring a developer, I'd need to know all the things that 
this is back in the day, but I would need to know all these things that I wouldn't have known without a bit of trial and error, like what to look for in a good developer or what to look for in a good content writer. Whereas when you hire a freelancer who's a business owner, they kind of help you with that and they help you with the process and they think of things that you haven't thought of. And um, yeah, I think I'll try and keep working with freelancers for as long as possible and my hope is honestly that one day there'll just be a freelancer who just wants a full-time job and then we just <laughs> we just do that but most freelancers don't want a full-time job so yeah 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 usually the rates are just that much that much, that much different right i can uh, ask for rates that are like two or three times the the base salary that a full-time employee would have yeah um kind of hard to convince freelancers to give that up if the market is not completely in the trash yeah um so yeah. yeah it's a tricky one yeah do you have any plans of expanding beyond wordpress or it's just like your plan for now to stay with wordpress and make that like you said you have to put it on the on the landing page everywhere and be very specific about that's the tool that i want to build and it's the only thing that we are supporting yeah i go back and forth on this a lot like a lot of people say i should make it into a proper SaaS, like a hosted thing And I've thought about it so many times um, and I've come close to doing it once or twice. Um, but I, I feel like I haven't, I feel like I'm quite happy on WordPress. You know, I'd never say never, but I feel like there's so much more I could do to grow Client Portal on WordPress. And it's such a, it's such a big community and it's a good community. I did my first, I went to um, my first WordCamp, bizarrely my first ever um, earlier this year. And that was really great. Um, so yeah, I'm quite enjoying, I think I want to keep it on WordPress, but yeah, I'd never say never. Uh, we're going to get back to this in just a second. Um, because the other question that I had was, uh, that, that was obviously one way of doing no code. Um, but there are others. Do we want to talk about the other ways of <laughs> being able to no code? And the one that is specifically about no code tools, I can talk a little bit about for the for the listeners if you don't know about them. Yeah, so I think about this one a lot because I, I really want to see more non-developers do this kind of thing. So, um, you know, the way I sort of think of it, the, the problem with being a non-developer is that you do need money in order to... Um, hire a developer so you know you can do things like invest your own money um you could say you know you're freelancing right so if you can if you can make your freelancing business more of like an agency um and i actually saw your like um your app that you've got the marketing copy without a big marketing budget and i was yes, like oh exactly, that would be yeah. such a cool agency <laughs> like you could probably like if Like you could, if you could find something, you know, they call it a cash cow. <laughs> so you, um, you know, something that's fairly hands off that you could really process and, you know, make lots of money based on like a service that you're giving people, um, then take that and use that to invest in your own product. That would be my favorite way because, um, you know, I don't like the idea of investing or getting, you know, investment in from an actual investor um yeah, but that's yeah. yeah but that is another option and there's things called this things like tiny seed i don't know if you've heard of that that's like yes. for mm -hmm. indie hacker kind of people so that looks really good that would be another one but i'm always a bit like wary of that kind of route i, I don't know why i think it's just because i don't know about it so you know there's so there's that there's you can invest your own money um by like creating like a services business or having savings or something like that You could um, 
do some kind of pre-sales. So build an audience first. This, this means that you need to have an audience or have good connections. So the first step there is build a network, do some pre-sales. Um, yeah, you could get investment, you could um, go down the no-code route, or you could get a co-founder who is a developer. So if you know someone who's a developer, you could team up with them um, and have kind of a co-founder relationship going on, which I actually actually wouldn't recommend for a lot of people because I've seen it go down. <laughs> I, I don't know if I've seen a success. I think I've seen like one successful one. Um, like getting a co-founder is kind of like marriage, <laughs> like but marrying someone you don't know very well, like a blind date kind of marriage, like an arranged marriage. Um, and so I just feel like that doesn't always work so well, but that's another option as well. Um, and then like we say, the no code route as well, that's the, um, that's the one I don't know much about. So I'm curious to hear what you know about that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little X course on this, like, like just two minutes. Um, so there was a question on Twitter where someone, I think Arvin Zunda, which is a marketing expert, not a not a coder as well, um, he asked what is like the definition of no code, of low code, and of code, obviously, and what's like the different paths you can take there. And I feel like those no code tools are actually what is between no code and low code, because there is tools that are very, very successfully used by absolute no coders who have no technical knowledge or very little. Um, I would say that Bubble is the biggest tool in this category. Um, what I hear about it, because I haven't used it yet, I will try to use it for a small project just to get a, a, like a first look at it. Um, it's being used by Luis Pereira, for example, who is building uh, AudioPen AI. I'm not sure if you've heard about yeah, that I one. Have, yeah, um, that's that's based on bubble so he doesn't program or code directly he has like in bubble you can put put uh, components together to do that for you um which i would consider normal no code application uh, to build to build something and then what i would consider low code but don't actually think that it's so useful is tools like um framer and also webflow I think that that's something that falls kind of into that category of low code because what Webflow essentially is, is programming, but with UI interfaces. Um, so if I look, I, I take, I've taken a look at Webflow um, to see if I can build my blog, my website with it. And I was like, this is just like programming, but I have to do, I have to use buttons for it. <laughs> so I didn't kind of, I, did, I kind of didn't get why I should do that. Um, because at that point, if, for example, you as a no-coder would come to me and say, I want to know about Webflow, I want to start building projects with that, uh, I would say, why don't you just learn programming at that point? Because you have to know all, all about logic. layouting yeah. and the logic that work, like how does CSS code work together with all the stuff in the HTML? And at that point, you can just start a code. Um, so the only real way to go into no code is using a tool that does all of this for you uh of course you won't you won't 100 dodge all of your technical issues you have to have like some kind of interest in that in that regard if you don't want to hire developers for everything um but i think the standard no code solution in tools is something like bubble um i think that's like the biggest one right now and what kind of limitations do you get with that um, the one that I've seen a lot uh, with a few tools that have done this is performance. I think that's the biggest one. Um, of course, 
I, I asked some people about uh, about Bubble and how how I can like my question to gauge how much I can do with this is can I take a design that I made by hand and didn't have anything in mind but this design so I didn't have a Bubble design system in place or something right I just designed something can I take this and make it a Bubble app without having to change that design and someone went yes you can do this so. Apparently, you can just design something, build components with it, and then build it as an as an app like you imagined. So, logic doesn't seem to be such a big problem, is my understanding, especially because there are plugins for pretty much everything. Um, I asked Luis Pereira about this because I had trouble developing an audio recording tool in the browser, which is kind of tricky because of Safari doesn't support stuff like this and stuff. So to be cross-browser, it's very difficult. And he said, yeah, that's just a plugin for that in Bubble. So I can just, just use this. I don't know how it works. Um, so you can build pretty cool stuff with it. But the one negative point I hear every time is that the performance is not as if you had coded it instead. And you can see this with AudioPen.io as well. Like the Sometimes the, the interface is a little slow to react um, or it needs longer than you think for some interactions, but not something that would that I would t call outrageous or I can't work with this, um, but you notice the performance difference. I'm not sure how much that will be an issue when you build large projects with it. That's that's kind of where I see the, the limitation. Wow. I mean, it sounds interesting. Like it... it even made me think while you were saying that I was like oh wow maybe I could make client portal into a, a SaaS with bubble like it because I'm you know I sneakily got the website up as you were talking to have a look because I've, I've never I've never heard of it. I don't know where I live in a hole somewhere but um yeah it looks really cool actually um interesting I, I just can't believe you could make anything with it without being able to code that blows my mind but maybe that shows how old I am yeah, the no coders are pretty pretty convinced about it. I ask them a lot of the, like like stuff like this, like questions like this, and because I'm usually starting with a design, think about how should these screens look like, and then I'm getting something up and running, and then I want to create that, like the stuff that I did in the design file. I now want to create as an app, and if I can't do this with a no code tool, it's automatically out as an option. But they were all pretty adamant that you can do all of this with this tool, um, which I find pretty cool. I have to still try it, um, so I'm, we might make we might do an update on this uh, on in another episode. Um, but it seems to work for a lot of people. Wow, that's crazy! Different world. Yeah. That's exciting, though. <laughs> if it makes, I mean, if it makes like stuff like this more accessible to other people, I mean, that must be a good thing because. You know, I always think about the amount of ideas that there must be floating around by people who are not technical, who are hammered by the fact that they can't code and maybe they don't have the money to invest in a developer at this point. So it would be interesting to see what ideas they could come up with in this kind of community, which I bet are just different. And yeah, that's exciting. And it also opens up alternative, uh, uh, not alternatives, um, it opens up the possibility to, for example, if you're working in a small company and you have this one process that you want to automate in some way, you could build something with a no-code tool, be it Bubble or something else, that automates this process, right? And then you have like a one-off tool that you can use. You don't have to make an enterprise software program or sell something with it. You can just build a productivity tool with it that only your company uses or stuff like that. 
I can imagine a lot of solutions that could be done with those tools. Possibilities <laughs> are endless. Everything's changing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe client portal becomes a SaaS after all. <laughs> I know. I mean, wouldn't that be something? That would be like, that would be interesting. Oh gosh. But then I'd be down the rabbit hole, wouldn't I? I'd be, you know, client yeah. portal would be like crazy <laughs> with the amount I'd want to add to it. But that's cool. I have another question that we kind of have to backtrack a little bit. Um, you said that you already had a list of like 5,000 contacts when you started Client Portal. And for me, that didn't seem like you had 5,000 followers on Twitter. You made this list in some other way. That's what I'm gathering. Um, how did you get to that number? Like, what did you do to get people interested in signing up somewhere and being on a list? Yeah, it was it was an email list. So um, basically, what I did was I set up a really simple one page landing page that just talked about the problem with developers and how, you know, you working on your side projects, and you want to make them look just good enough that you could potentially grow them you don't want to be a designer that's just not what you want to do but you just need to know just enough design to make yourself you know dangerous um and if you're interested sign up here and i'll let you know when i've got something ready that i'm working on bear in mind this was back in 2016 so things were a bit more i feel like things were a bit more hacky then in a way um you know so i didn't have you know an email course or anything or an ebook or anything like that It did then later graduate into a five-day email sequence. Um, but that landing page, uh, because I spent a lot of time trying to, you know, really speak emotively, I suppose, um, to the problem that they were having with just to put your email address if this sounds like you and you want to learn more. Um, and then what I would do is that I would do guest posts for, you know, back then it was things like SitePoint, um, smashing magazine and stuff like that and then I would speak at conferences and go on podcasts and every time I would just link to this landing page if you enjoyed what I was saying and if this resonates go here and then it just slowly built up like it wasn't fast you know bear in mind I was still freelancing full-time I had a lot of clients um you know a lot of this was like it, it was slow to build up that the first 500 was really hard the first 1000 was really hard and then I feel like once it hit the thousand mark it just kind of growed more consistently and I, I felt like I wasn't having to fight for every single new subscriber so um yeah I feel like if you can hit that mark it kind of gets a bit easier but that's basically how I how I did it but that was just a wait list right you didn't push blog posts or newsletters to that list or did you do that i did it did email them so i would email them but so irregularly um you know when i had something to say and people did appreciate that at the time um i think anyway some people did i would email very infrequently but i tried to make the emails really good and just a bit different um and so it would take me a long time so alongside everything that i was doing i hardly ever had any time to actually send emails so when i did i tried to make them worth it um, but yeah, it was basically just that. And people were just interested in what I had to say. Um, and eventually they got sick of my emails and I got someone. The thing that got me to do the course was somewhat, I think I emailed teasing something or something. And someone replied saying, look, I hate to be blunt, but I've been on your list for a while. Can you just make the damn course already? Because I'm ready to buy. <laughs> And I opened this email thinking you'd have something for, to sell me. Like I'm sitting here saying, take my money, stop like talking about what you're going to build and just do it. 
<laughs> and that kicked me. That gave me a sharp kick. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Because I was, I was a bit nervous. I was like, what if I can't do it? Or what if no one buys? But I mean, to have someone so passionately put me in my place, um, that was, you know, that was really good uh, to just get me motivated to actually do something. And that's when I said, okay, I'm doing it now. And then I did it and it went really well. And that was good. You basically got the just ship it email. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, we're running out of time a little bit. Um, I have two finishing questions that I always ask every founder or every indie hacker I have on the podcast. Uh, one is, uh, what excites you right now? And that can be technology related, but it doesn't have to. Well, what excites me right now in my in my own business is, this sounds really, this is going to be really boring, but I'm really excited about SEO because it's not something I've really done much research in or understand. And I'm really trying to learn actually what it is and, you know, how keyword research and all that stuff. I'm really in the early days of it, but I think it could be the thing that really helps grow client portal really consistently. Um, because when I went to WordCamp, I spoke to every plugin founder I could find who would talk to me and I asked them what what's the thing that grows your business if you could just pick one thing and every single person said seo just focus on seo content but do it right so do it smart don't just write whatever comes out of your head or what you feel like like it needs to have a strategy behind it and so i've been like i've taken that on board and that's like my focus now is to try to be more strategic about what i'm writing and what i hope this achieves other than just kind of you know, that, which, um, yeah, that's probably my most exciting thing, something that's been around forever. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's still okay. <laughs> um, I'm also uh, kind of dipping my toes into this. Um, I'm going to plug another indie hacker here. Um, his name is Phil Keller, and he was on the show, I think, in episode five. Uh, he talked about uh, SEO in on the show, in the podcast, um, but also he's writing about it on Twitter a lot. So, make sure to follow him. Um, he has some stuff to say about that. There are other SEO, more even more SEO-related Twitter accounts, but I think that he has managed to show it from a developer perspective, from someone that is not a pro in SEO, how to get into it, right? He's not a perfect pro in it, but he has great tweets about how you can start with it. Yeah, That's, he's I think, like the SEO. He's like the equivalent for SEO like I was for design to developers. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Perfect. Yeah, Just enough that you can get dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I need. And um, we have one like a question. The second question that we're always asking, um, what's like the one lesson or advice that you would give someone that just starts out as an indie hacker right now? That's just they had they've made their Twitter account yesterday and they have like zero followers. What should they do to start indie hacking? I think um, if The first, the thing I would recommend is just have some kind of income that is large enough to make you, you know, comfortable, um, but that doesn't take you a ton of time, you know, it doesn't take all of your time. You're not working like super, super crazy hard, you know, five or more days a week to get that. Because I think the hardest thing when you're trying to build a business as an indie hacker is being so desperate for it to go quick quickly because you need it. Um, so, you know, having something like where you could work, say, I don't know, three days a week, but, you know, have enough income to sustain you and then have the other two days to work on your 
business is is really important and that's kind of a boring one because it's not like you know the exciting thing is working on the product that you want to make um but it's just hard to do that when you are potentially worried about money and especially you know if you've got if you're like older and you've got kids and a house and all that kind of stuff like you just don't need that kind of stress so I would say you know start one step behind and try to think about how you can fund how you can be an investor in your own indie hacker business um, would be my number one piece of advice yeah and 100 agree on this like i started indie hacking by going to my like i first started with just being on my job full time and just started something and then when i was getting serious about it i went down to four days a week which would still sustain me i could still pay my rent and stuff but you had that one day where you can just full concentrate full focus on something that is yours um that's what i would agree as well that that's the the, the more sane path There are some people, I call them kamikaze uh, indie hackers, uh, that quit their job and have like four months of runtime and something has to hit. Um, but yeah, I'm in the same boat. I need some kind of safety because otherwise I can't think clearly. <laughs> yeah, and you end up making like irrational decisions that you maybe you wouldn't have made. And I mean, I'm sure some people must do it really well, but that would that would make me stressed. And I feel like people can tell when you're desperate. Like it just, there's something about it and I don't know don't know what it is it starts it starts with creative work uh, I, i can't imagine writing great copywriting if i'm stressed and i need like the first copywriting variant to hit yeah. and to sell uh like the one that you just mentioned on my landing page is like the the fifth iteration and the landing page still looks like shit because it's we didn't have the time to design a new one yeah and um That's okay because the freelancing money is coming in and we have time to develop the rest. And I think that's very essential to be calm. You don't have to be very, very slow with it, but to be calm while doing this is largely helpful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you can see it as like, this is this is me doing something for my indie hacker business. So I think what a lot of people don't like is that they're saying, oh, if I'm working on this, how I'm not, I'm not growing my indie hacker business but you are like this is just step one or step zero like you have to do this to get to the next step um, unless you want to go down maybe the tiny seed route or something like that but yeah it's uh it's it's difficult but yeah make sure you are calm and making good decisions and you know comfortable but maybe not too comfortable so you're not complacent <laughs> but just get that exactly. right balance and then you should be yeah. all good have a little patience and a little Yeah, you have to be motivated, but also have a little patience for it. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Um, Laura, where can people find you online? So you can find me. I mostly am on Twitter. So it's at Laura Eliz with a Z done, D-U-N-N. Um, and you can check out Client Portal if it sounds like something you would be interested in at client-portal.io. And a quick tip, when you buy a domain name, don't put a hyphen in it because then yeah. every time you say it, you have to say hyphen. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a quick that's another tip. lesson yeah yeah but yeah mainly on twitter um, i'd love for you to reach out there and yeah especially if you're a, another fellow non-tech founder because i need to start a little i need to start a little list thank you so much for your time laura it was a very nice interview and getting a completely different perspective from the developers that we had on till now um yeah thank you so much for your time for agreeing on this and um yeah, yeah. 
Perfect. Well, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I have had an absolutely lovely time chatting with you. So, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much and uh, goodbye. Thanks. And that's our episode. Thank you for sticking with us to the end. You can find Laura on Twitter with the username Laura Ellis Dunn. That's L-A-U-R-A-E-L-I-Z-D-U-N-N. And you can find her main product client portal at client-portal.io. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. We're always happy to hear feedback. If you're building an indie hacker business yourself and want to be part of the show, we are also really happy to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter with the username Icebearlabs, that's I-C-E-B-E-A-R-L-A-B-S, or send me a mail to tobias at icebearlabs.com. Till next time.